There are two texts this morning from which the sermon will come. The first is in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. The words of Paul as we continue to go through slowly, methodically, uh, this letter of the Apostle. Beginning in verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a person is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If While we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Matthew chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. words of Jesus. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, that person must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. May God add to our understanding, the reading of this, His Holy Word. Amen. I really want to preach this well this morning, not for my own edification, but because these verses from Galatians that we just read are some of the absolute best in the Bible. Uh, They are just golden. I think if, if you had to take the best passages of all the Bible and, and someone said you only have one page, and you have to condense the, just the words you want to keep on that one page, I think these words would make it. These are the kind of juicy fastballs that, that preachers love because they are just at the very heart of the gospel. I have been... I've been living with this passage for the past couple of weeks, uh, very aware, very um, reverent about the importance of these words. It's almost like handling china, like fine china. You don't want to drop it. And if, if, um, if these words don't preach, it won't be because of the fault of the passage. Let's begin. Uh, I'd like us to listen to and read and hear these same words from Galatians uh, in the message. Pastor Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible in contemporary English. 
uh, because I think the message does a fabulous job of getting the spirit of Paul's words here in Galatians. We Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule-keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it. And we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. Have some of you noticed that we're not yet perfect? No great surprise, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous, Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin? The accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a charlatan. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a law man so I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with Him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I am not going to go back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old, rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Martin Luther, who uh, led the Reformation and gave birth to the Protestant wing of the Christian church, he was just deeply influenced by and loved the letter of Galatians. He called it his Katie von Bora. Katie von Bora was his wife. Luther lived with Galatians, slept with Galatians, ate with Galatians, breathed Galatians. It uh, it gave him peace, it gave him comfort, it gave him confidence in his relationship with God. In one of his lectures on Galatians, and Luther lectured many times on this book of the Bible, he gives his definition of a Christian. He said that a Christian is not someone who has no sin or feels no sin or never fails or never blows it. He says that's not a Christian. He said, a Christian is someone who, because of his or her faith in Christ, God does not charge that person with their sin. Now, that's very different from how many people popularly might define a Christian today. Many people would say, perhaps, that a Christian, well, a Christian's a good person. They're nice, they're kind, they do good things, they don't have bad thoughts, and they don't do wrong things. 
I think it's the struggle of every Christian. I know it's my struggle many times to just not feel guilty, to not get totally depressed and defeated by my failings. Uh, we wonder, when will those dark places in my personality and behavior get better? Uh, we wonder, why do I keep making the same mistakes? I think many people who would not claim any faith or religion might even struggle with that more than they would admit. There's a sense sometimes, we're just not good enough. I'm not good. Someone said Christianity is not about good people getting better. But if anything, it's good news for bad people coping with their failure sometimes to be good. The good news, the good news, is that the life of Jesus Christ and identification with his life puts bad people right with God even when we fail to do good. Paul uses the word justified. He uses it several times. He speaks of being justified by Christ. The word justified means to be made right. It means to be put into a right relationship. Uh, In construction, when you justify something, you build something, you make it line up. Uh, Maybe the edge of a board uh, needs to line up with another straight edge. In law, to be justified means to uh, be declared not guilty. Uh, The opposite of that is to be condemned. Jesus Christ justifies a person with God. He makes a person right with God. He puts us in a right relationship with God. He lines us up with God. Now, most people's religion, and that includes those who actually claim a formal religious affiliation and those who don't, because whatever we worship, that's my religion, and that might be myself. It might be my own ideas. But most people's religion is establishing our own goodness before God or before others. Most people's religion is to justify ourselves. I'm okay, and let me tell you why I'm okay. Paul said he tried to live that way. He couldn't do it. Tried to live by the rules, found out it didn't work, so he died to the law. He stopped trying to work his head off to keep the law and trusted Christ instead. It's why he wrote verse 20, which is like fine crystal in the Bible. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What did he mean? Well, first notice that Paul makes this personal. He begins no longer saying us, but he says I, it's me. This is a personal thing for Paul. And Paul did not speak, he wasn't speaking as if he's physically no longer alive. He's speaking spiritually. He was spiritually had died with Christ, which is essential in the Christian life. And now Christ was living in him. Christ had taken over his thinking, his lifestyle. Christ was now the center. No longer Paul's ego. No longer Paul's agenda. I no longer live. What do you mean? You look like Paul. You talk like Paul. You smell like Paul. When we die, our doesn't mean our personalities cease to exist but when Christ lives in us we begin to change we begin to see things like Christ sees them 
We begin to hear things like Christ hears them. We begin to do things like Christ would do them. We begin to think things like Christ would think them. He lives in us. And the more we die, the less there is of us. And the less there is of us, the more there is of Christ. That the living Lord inhabits us and mysteriously fills us with himself is part of the bedrock. It's essential in Christian spirituality. Now, that doesn't mean we become passive and just merely empty pipes through which God's grace just kind of flows through and we just kind of sit there. Paul goes on to speak of the active, uh, the necessity of active faith. He says the life that he now lives in the body, which is to say his actions, his words, his thoughts, his emotions, the everyday give and take of relationships and responsibilities. Uh, And sometimes we do that better on some days than others, don't we? He says, I live that now by faith in the Son of God. He was trusting Christ moment by moment, becoming more aware of the Son, wanting to honor Christ. As Oswald Chambers puts it, when we live by faith in the Son of God, we sign our rights away. We give up ownership. Jesus called people who want to follow Him, and He said, take up your cross. He said, if you want to save your life, we'll end up losing it. But to lose our life for his sake and for the sake of the gospel is to save it. We die to ourselves. We we, we, we die to our right to justify ourselves. We die to our selfish desires and passions. When I start to live by faith in the Son of God, the first question I ask is no longer, well, what does Phil want? But the question now becomes, well, what does Christ want? What does Jesus Christ want? For the Christian, this becomes a daily way of living. Christ living in me. What does he want? So much of what we hear today, whether in media or advertising, sometimes even in education, is very me-centered. Puts us at the center. I came across this quote this week from the very fine actress, Shirley MacLaine. You know who she is? Very good actress. Here was her philosophy of living. She said, the most pleasurable journey you take is through yourself. The only sustaining love involvement is with yourself. When you look back on your life and try to figure out where you've been and where you are going, when you look at your work, your love affairs, your marriages, your children, your pain, your happiness, when you examine all that closely, what you really find out is that the only person you really go to bed with is yourself. The only person you really dress is yourself. The only thing you have working you have is the only thing you have is working to the consummation of your own identity. And Paul writes, it is no longer I who live. The life crucified with Christ ends the life of the self as the center and begins the life with God as the center because God is the most important reality. A couple of weeks ago, Melissa Reynolds, a young mother in our congregation here at MOPC, uh, was driving with her two six-year-old twin daughters in the car. Uh, Nate, the dad, says every day is fun with those two. And uh, Anna, one of the sisters, asked, Mom, 
Mom, what is the most important thing in the world? To which Sister Caitlin chimed in and said, God, duh. (laughs) Caitlin gets it. She got it. That God is the most important, the biggest thing in the world. Everything around us says we're the most important thing in the world. I mean, we talk about ourselves, we think about ourselves, we coddle ourselves, we look at ourselves, we, we worry about ourselves, we stare at ourselves, we promote ourselves. Now, to some extent, that's natural. I mean, all I've got is me. I've got to live with myself 24-7. But to be crucified with Christ doesn't mean we lose the distinctiveness of us as persons or human beings or that we become walking Christian zombies, all looking alike, saying the same thing, doing the same thing. To be crucified with Christ is to say, I'm just not the big deal anymore. And I submit to something, someone, who is much bigger. To be crucified with Christ and to have Him live in us is when we understand that our lives have been swallowed up by that God, that ultimate reality. Life by faith in the Son of God is to live in the biggest reality of all, which is so much deeper than living in what the world thinks is important or what it values or what the headlines tell us, this is what is important. When we live by faith in the Son of God, we rely on Him for our being right with God. We accept and trust fully in His grace and His grace alone. It's no longer about our performance. Grace was one of the great themes, the favorite themes of Uh, Robert Farrar Capon, uh, Episcopalian priest who died just several months ago and and was a very fine writer. He put what it means to live by faith in the Son of God this way. Listen. He said, trust Him. And when you have done that, you are living the life of grace. No matter what happens to you in the course of that trusting, no matter how many waverings you may have, no matter how many suspicions that you have bought a poke with no pig in it, no matter how much heaviness and sadness, your lapses, vices, indispositions, and bratty whining may cause you, you believe simply that somebody else by his death and resurrection has made it all right, and you just say thank you and shut up. He goes on. The whole slop closet full of mildewed performances, which is all you have to offer, is simply your death. It is Jesus who is your life. If he refused to condemn you because your works were rotten, he certainly isn't going to flunk you because your faith isn't so hot. You can utterly fail, therefore, and still live the life of grace. You can fold up spiritually, morally, or intellectually and still be safe because at the very worst, all you can be is dead And for him who is the resurrection and the life, that just makes you his cup of tea. To live any other way but in trust of God is to set aside the grace of God. It's to say, no, I'll do it myself, thank you very much. And it is to trust in my own mildewed performances, as Capon put it. If we could be made right with God on our own, there's no reason for the cross. Think of it, saying to God that we can do enough, that we can work hard enough, that we can make ourselves worthy enough, that we don't even need the life of the Son. It says the Son of God loved us and gave himself for us. And Paul writes there, me. He loved me. He gave himself 
for me. Take that same verse. Put your name there. The Son of God who loved your name. Who gave Himself your name. Right now, as you sit there, God's love is upon you and with you. It is. He loves you. Right where you're sitting. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you've come from. He didn't wait to see how you would turn out first. He is well aware of our failings, our vices, your lapses. No, the Son of God gave Himself on the cross for you first. When we accept that love, that is grace. We are justified by that grace. I want to close with one of the great statements of uh, our faith in the Christian tradition outside of the Scriptures. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism. It's old. It was written in 1563 in the town of Heidelberg, Germany. And it was a tool used to teach the content of the Christian faith to people. And it was done in a question and answer format. There's a question and there's an answer. Yes, there are some questions where there are answers. And uh, question number 60 is this. How are you righteous before God? Or how are you made right with God? Or how are you justified with God? And the answer that the Christian is to know is this. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all of God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ as if I had never sinned or been a sinner and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. That's what we're talking about. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. That's what we need to trust. That's who we need to trust. This is the gift of grace. Joel, would you go back to the slide that has Galatians 2, chapter 20 on it? I'd like us to say this together. These words are so important. These verses are so golden. Let's stand. Would you so close? Together, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Lord, I speak to you on behalf of this congregation. You and you only know which ones really feel a strong identification with you. I thank you that it's your business to know and not my business to pry. Lord Jesus, you loved us. You gave yourself for us, for each of us as individuals. Your love is so personal. Would you break us where we're stubborn and where we cling to our own rights, our own efforts? Break us where we imagine we can do it on our own, earn it on our own, 
Break us where we think we can live life on our own terms. And may it be we who no longer live, but you, Christ, living in us. And the life we live, may it be by faith in you. This is my prayer for myself and these people. I ask you to answer it. Amen.